Welcome back to the Fat Tail Investment Podcast. It's 2022. We've had a decent old break here uh, since our last episode, but it's good to be back and we've got a big bunch of guests lined up for you. Um, now, today I'm going to be talking to a guy called Matt McCall, who's a tech investor and advisor over in the United States, and he follows uh, some of the big trends that we're seeing come together and will define not only the markets for the next 10 years, but our lives, like the future of transportation, which is like electric and autonomous vehicles, cryptocurrencies, the metaverse, uh, energy, so the, the shift away from fossil fuels into the renewable space. So lots and lots of um, really interesting uh, themes to follow and very topical right now because the NASDAQ over in the US, a lot of the stocks over there, the tech stocks, have been absolutely hammered in the last couple of quarters. So they're down big. So if you're a believer in those trends or you see opportunity in those trends, now is definitely a time to get interested uh, in terms of picking up stocks cheaper than they were uh, six months ago, for example. And as Matt alludes to into, into the interview later, you know the mainstream tells us that the interest rates are bringing down the growth stocks and that in a sense part is true. But if you look back uh, or look out at least over a 10 year period, the idea that uh, you know five G is 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 going to be stopped by you know a two percent interest rate is ridiculous. So um, definitely a time to get interested. Here in Australia, we've seen the market go down. I think it's its worst January for a long time. I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's been uh, belted around uh, the market here in Australia uh, since we opened back in early January. Um, so volatility. Uh, now, just a quick take from me. Generally, when we see the stock market sell down, uh, you know, obviously it's natural to be concerned if that's your super fund there, et cetera, or your money's in the market. But it can actually provide a lot of opportunity. I don't mind volatility at all because if there's a stock that I like and people are getting a bit panicked out, well, that's a chance for me to, to step in and, and accumulate it uh, cheaper than I, than I can otherwise get in. So uh, you can also see if you're following the market, uh, you know, where stocks find support, um, where the buyers do step in. And that can give you a good idea of your downside uh, if the market holds up. Personally, I think the market will rally from here, but that we'll just have to see how we go there. Um, I picked up uh, on one of the days uh, down uh, some shares in BHP uh, myself. Uh, not a very imaginative idea, but I just, because iron ore has rallied so strong, while that's the case, I don't see much uh, risk with that idea. So we'll see how that goes. Remember back uh, late last year, I was suggested Rio as a contrarian play. Uh, in fact, that was our first podcast, uh, and that idea has worked out pretty well. So we'll see how BHP goes. I know they're going to pay a decent dividend coming up uh, as well. But there is a lot of uh, much more exciting ideas than that um, that I've been canvassing for my service catalyst trader in the small cap space. Um, and one stock that I really like is a little firm called Resimac, which is a non-bank lender. And the interesting thing about this one is that previous to the market sell-down, they announced that they were going to do a buyback. Um, I think it was in December that they said that. So they, they basically said to uh, uh, investment bank, look, we authorize you to spend X amount of dollars to buy our shares back on the market because we think they're too cheap which can be a very capital effective way as a shareholder for the company to use its, its funds. Now, interestingly, I said to my guys, 
back in December, I said, if the market sells down, this is going to provide the stock with support because obviously they're going to go, uh, well, authorize the use of the buyback. And that's exactly what we saw play out with resume. The market sold down, uh, obviously, like any stock, it came under pressure. And then they, the traders there uh, started to buy up the stock. So Resimac itself has uh, really not been hit at all. So you can see uh, that even when a market sells down, uh, if you know your stock, uh, there are opportunities and um, to accumulate or to buy or indeed to sell. If, if you get one that's hit badly, obviously then you know that perhaps it may not be as strong. Uh, as you thought, and maybe you do need to get out. So we'll see what happens. Um, but, but for my mind, fairly positive, at least in the short term from the Aussie market from here. So with that view in mind, it's uh, potentially buying opportunities out there here in Australia. And as we alluded to earlier on the NASDAQ, so here is Matt McCall with what why he thinks we're going into the roaring 2020s and the trends that will drive that uh, forward. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Earlier, I mentioned I had uh, Stansbury's latest um, star come on, coming on board for us. And Matt McCall, you've come on, you burst onto the scene in October last year, talking about an idea of the roaring 2020s, and uh, which is sort of an echo of the 1920s when the US boomed and uh, the big Wall Street uh, boomed happened before the big crash that we, everybody knows about. But what you're talking about there is in stark contrast to what we generally hear, which is that the bull market is very old in the US, been going since 2009, really. Um, you know, the big players like Amazon, Apple, surely are fully priced now. How is it that you see that um, the world can just keep getting stronger and, and uh, more exciting uh, than it has been over the last 10 years? Well, thanks for having me on. It's a, it's a true pleasure, number one. Um, you know, my bullishness for the, for the roaring 2020s, the decade and beyond, uh, really stems from uh, the convergence of several technologies coming together. Um, everything from going to 5G, eventually 6G uh, during this decade uh, with connectivity, uh, Internet of Things, uh, artificial intelligence, moving into quantum computing, machine learning. Uh, we're going to have electric vehicles everywhere. We'll have autonomous vehicles everywhere. We're going to have flying vehicles everywhere uh, by the end of the decade. Uh, breakthroughs in, in genomics. Uh, we saw how quickly a vaccine uh, came about. Um, I, I, just putting all this together, uh, battery technology, and it's 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 unstoppable. It doesn't matter about pandemics. It doesn't matter about um, governments or what's going on. You know, we're going to have recessions along the way. Nothing goes straight up. All that being said, you can't stop innovation, and it's very similar to what we saw in the 1990s too where we saw um, you know, personal computers come along, the internet come along, uh, eventually mobile phones, all that stuff led to such amazing uh, innovations and, and inventions during that decade. And as far as our investing, which is which really excites me, uh, the amount of winners that came out of the 1990s. 
And that's why I see right now, I think we have such a great opportunity. You mentioned we, we just relaunched my franchise in October with Stanford Research. It wasn't the best timing, but you know you can never time the markets because we've had a lot of tech stocks pull back in the last few months. But uh, we're actually getting ready to do a, a really special urgent video coming up because uh, I think right now is a great, great long-term buying opportunity in some of these stocks. Well, let's, we'll talk a little bit about the NASDAQ action yep. in a little bit, but is it a case for you that some of the developments uh, we can't like generally general people like me and people listening, they, we don't know what's going to come yet. You mentioned the iPhone there. So the internet came along 10, 15 years before the iPhone. Is it, so do you think this is a thing where it's, you, you sort of sense where it's going, but you can't pinpoint exactly uh, what's going to happen in five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah, you know, it's, it's very difficult for most people to think about the future just in general, then try to determine what is going to be in the future. And then next step, Caleb, is how do you invest in it? Yeah, which companies are going to be leaders in it? You know, there, there's a great study, uh, your prefrontal cortex in, in your brain, when you think of yourself, it lights up. When you think about others, it doesn't light up at all. And when they ask you to think about yourself in the future, you would think that would light up, but it doesn't because we can't picture ourselves in the future. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy thing that goes back to caveman days, in my opinion, where you couldn't, you, you live for the moment. You couldn't walk outside and take a stroll out of the cave. You get eaten by some saber-toothed you know, tiger or something. So we, we think that way. So it's very difficult for us to envision a future. I call myself an amateur futurist. I read future books all the time. I listen to these guys and, and, and gals. I love it. And, and some of this stuff is so crazy and so scientific, sci-fi that you may think I'm nuts when I say some of this stuff, but I truly think we'll eradicate cancer, not because we're going to have a cure, but you're going to be able to, to draw a drop of blood and tell you if there's any cancer in your body uh, and be able to fix it right away. You know, if you catch cancer early enough, uh, there's a study that just came out. Um, I think it was from Harvard. There's some, somewhere in the Northeast uh, in the States that they can scan your retina now to see if you're at risk of a heart attack. And heart disease is number one killer in the United States. Imagine eradicating because of that. There's so much stuff that we really can't fathom. I've been talking about flying cars for years. I sat in a bunch of them two years ago at CES in Vegas, the big conference. And my team had, we did videos and they still thought I was crazy. Now you look everywhere. United, all the major airlines are investing in it. And you're going to start seeing flying cars in major cities. They look like drones and eventually they're autonomous. And, and just, it's tough to imagine looking up and seeing these things flying around our skies like the Jetsons. But again, we couldn't envision having this, this, this phone in our hands 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it is, that we can't live without it. This is the most powerful computer on earth, basically, right here. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. So it's tough for us to envision where we're going to go, uh, but that's my job to try to help people and direct them into you know, these mega trends. I'm not trying to pick the one company. I'm trying to pick the trends that I think will lead. It's interesting you mentioned some futurists. I think it was a couple of years ago now, I did an interview with a guy called Tony Sieber who yeah. uh, I thought was just fantastic, but it, he painted the 2020s as the most disruptive decade in history. So for every exciting trend that you're talking about, I guess there's, there's industries about to get blown apart. That's what uh, Tony's uh, was saying at the time. Do you have the same view that, you know, if you're, I'm trying to think of a, well, a legacy car maker or, a, you know, the oil industry. Do you, I mean, do you see these, these once solid, you know, rock solid industries getting smashed too? I do. I mean, there will be some that, that will be completely disrupted. There'll be certain companies and, and sectors right now that will be able to adapt 
I mean, you're seeing like BP, Exxon, Chevron, all the big oil and gas. You know, obviously we're going more towards clean energy, but a lot of them have huge clean energy divisions that they've been building up over the last decade. So a lot of those will probably be able to hang around. Um, coal may go by, by the way, so you're probably not going to see a lot of coal outside of China, where they're still using a lot of coal, but not here in the States and developed countries. Um, I saw Tony speak a few months ago. He spoke at, at our conference in, uh, in October in Vegas, and I thought he was great. The one problem I have with a lot of the futurists, and I try to stay away from them, but I, I get all views. We we are inherently negative as people too, as humans. We like to think about the negative stuff. And there's a there's a great study that that they went on the street in New York and asked people um, what they thought of the future, or what are your concerns about the future, if any. And everybody was negative. I mean, it's like my family, the the politics, every like you know, it's just it's crazy. Like it, it's we 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 have very difficult time looking to the future and smiling. It's very tough like to be optimistic about the future, especially the day and age that we're living in right now. It's been a rough couple of years. So um, I do believe that Tony's right, that you will see a lot of disruption, uh, but from disruption comes new, amazing, um, you know, sectors. That's and the trends opportunity, work. right? Because the, yeah, the yeah, new that's, thing captures that for. share. Yeah, yeah. So like GM and Ford, obviously they're investing a ton into electric vehicles and, and everything's going to be electric in the next 20 years. So they're investing a ton in it. Will they be the leaders like they were in the past? I don't know. I think Ford can. I don't think GM's going to do too well, but I don't think they're going to go by the wayside. But again, they, they're, they're forced by Tesla and these other companies to do that, which is fantastic. So we'll just see which ones can adapt, but there will clearly be some disruption. There'll be some big companies that, you, that are, disappear in the next 10 years, unfortunately. I just, I want to go back a year or even a couple of years ago. There was an idea basically that China was going to crush the technology sector because because of their huge population and then AI would be able to train all that data, that, that they would somehow make a leap over the US. It seems to have fallen away, that idea. But where do you see Chinese tech playing a role in all of this, if any? I see him playing a major role. Um, you know, the, the, the last year and a half or so, the Chinese government's really cracked down on big tech. And uh, especially Jack Ma, he tried to take Ant, you know, his financial arm public right and at the last second that he couldn't. I think I think the reason that, that they they did that was they were getting a little too powerful. And of course, the government likes to control. So if they suddenly these private enterprises start becoming extremely powerful, uh, it, it takes power away from the government. So they basically had to wrangle them in. That being said, let's 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 not, you know, mix words here at all. China wants to dominate us. They want to dominate the world. Right. And there's only way to do that is to be the leader in technology. So now that they've got their tech companies under control, you have some of these stocks are trading at or near 52-week lows, if not multi-year lows, that are great companies that are so cheap, trading at pennies and a dollar compared to very similar companies in the United States or Western Europe. So I think China still will lead. And you know, uh, I think that they're, they're going to be a tech leader. I, I think they're going to be a leader in healthcare, as a matter of fact, too. I think Chinese biotech is going to be a great opportunity. Um, we started investing that a couple of years ago and done pretty well. I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I invest in Chinese stocks. I, I love Chinese stocks. And some people get mad. Some Americans don't, will never invest in Chinese stocks, you know, just for whatever reasons. Uh, but, you know, for me, my bottom line is to try to make money. So I, I see great opportunities there right now. That's interesting. So, yeah, because uh, a lot of people since Z started cracking down and sort of said, look, we see the opportunity in China, but we're not comfortable with, uh, the regulatory environment. So you're sort of happy to incorporate that into your analysis and go with it anyway? You just put it as another yeah. risk? Yeah, it is a risk. And, and the thing is, I, I think that that major risk uh, of the government cracking down more on technology specifically uh, is very low at this point. I, I think they've done their damage. 
And, and I think we've, we've, we've always priced Chinese stocks a little bit lower, multiple, just because there's always that extra risk hanging over them. Now we've added even more risk to it. So they're priced extremely low. And I think we've, you know, everything's in extremes. You know, it's like a pendulum swings back and forth. We've, saw, we've swung from, you know, they're at all time highs two years ago. Now multi-year lows. We're, we're just, they're just too low now. I mean, they're just great. They're, they're great companies. They're global companies. So there, there's risk here in the States. And, and I always get irritated when people say, I can't believe you invest in emerging markets, the, the government. I'm building a house in Nicaragua. I can't believe you build a house in Nicaragua. What's their government? Holy smokes, look at the U.S. government. It's probably the most corrupt government in the world, the stuff that goes on behind those doors. I mean, both sides of the aisle. I'm, I'm anti-politician, not anti-one side or the other. So uh, it's something you have to deal with no matter what. You never know what politicians are going to do. Well, I turned 40 the other week, and uh, as a gift, my friend took me to this VR place, right? So we put these goggles on, and we play this funny little game. And on the whole, it was it was kind of fun but it was a very rustic i felt like i was back in 1983 playing pong on the on the computer or something like there wasn't that much you could do but at the same time you sit there and go geez you give them 10 years this is going to be so cool and the reason i bring it up is one of the things i wanted to talk to you about was this thing called the metaverse which has sort of started to spring up in conversations and i've seen this through throughout the years you know something will appear sort of on the edge and it starts to go mainstream and then everybody gets excited by the idea and usually it's too early. And, and as you say, you can't really, it's not always obvious what to buy to benefit from it, but can you tell us, uh, I don't think it's going to go away. So what is the metaverse and where do you see it going? So the metaverse is tough to explain. It's like trying to explain blockchain or Bitcoin. Sometimes I, I, I know it, but it's tough to explain. But I, it, you know, Web 3.0, it's basically the next uh, iteration of the internet. Whereas right now, the web, we call it Web 2.0 right now, it's basically owned by the big companies, Google, Facebook. They basically own your data. They own it. They're going to push you where you want to go on the internet. Where Web 3.0 will be decentralized, uh, meaning that we basically own our own data. We own our own sites. Nobody's telling us where to go. Google's not pushing us around and taking our data and reselling it. So it, that, that's a big part of it. The other part's going to be the immersive part of um, uh, VR, virtual reality. Oh, by the way, happy birthday. Virtual reality, <laughs> artificial uh, or augmented reality. Um, <clears throat> so you have all that other stuff that, that, that's part of the metaverse. And it's really an alternative virtual world, if you think about it. And where you're right, I, I've done those VRs and I get sick every time I do it. I, I get like motion sickness and it, it's not good for me. But like you said, in the next five, 10 years, we could have doctors around the world putting those on and performing a surgery on somebody halfway around the world because they are in a remote place in Africa where there's no, there's no doctor to help do that. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to teach people. Imagine like, I don't have any kids, but if you, if you have kids, they can now sit down at the Declaration of Independence, put this on and actually literally be there and watch this whole thing kind of go on. It's, it's going to be fascinating uh, what we're going to be able to do with that. Um, and, and I, I like it. I, I think it's great. You know, it, as far as society's concerned, it could really screw us up. I'm a social bug. I like to sit at the bar and talk to the guy next to me or a girl next to me, where this is going to have kids sitting there putting these things on and never leaving their room. That's that's the one concern I have for it for society's sake. But yeah, everything's moving there. I mean, buying a car, you put it in, you're gonna you're gonna test drive your car right there. Uh, buying a home, they have Matterport, some publicly traded company. Now you could walk 3D through your home. I, I mean, everything. It's gonna be your entire life's gonna be run through the metaverse and the upside potential for the stocks that are going to be the guts behind it 
uh, you know, the, uh, the companies are actually at the forefront of it, the gaming companies, such, such upside right now. Is it still a little early? Yes, it is. But, you know, that's, that's when you make money. You have to be early. You mentioned buying a house in Nicaragua. I know that there are people buying land in the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you would do or have done? I have not done it yet. Um, I'm, I'm shifting around things right now, selling some houses, buying some stuff. So uh, I, I've thought about it, but there, and, and I probably should because I speak the game. I probably should put my money where my mouth is. I, but I find it fascinating. Uh, the central land is one of them. Is one of the big ones. There's two big ones. The central land is one big one. And I looked into it about a year and a half ago when Atari, uh, the old gaming company, bought a huge plot of land and went in. You could go in this thing into the Atari store there and you could play things, buy things uh, with your ether. Um, it was it was pretty damn amazing. And I tell some of these older people down here in Florida all the time about this metaverse buying this virtual land. They think I'm absolutely bananas. Um, but I said it. I said, I said, what makes that piece of swampland eight miles away in the Everglades worth something. Well, because somebody put something there and it's location, location, location. So if Atari is going to build that there and these other companies are going to build these virtual stores, I want to buy next to that because a lot of people are going to be walking there to sell my product. It's very simple. It's, it's, it's what makes anything worth anything. I mean, I saw Justin Bieber today bought an NFT, a board ape NFT for $1.29 million. I mean, he's got the money to do it, but it's, it's what makes that piece of virtual art worth $1.2 million is a picture of an ape because somebody wants it. You know, it's supply and demand. So I, I love the fact of virtual land. And, and if you really think about it, the value of, of the dollar with inflation is not going, I mean, it's doing well recently, but it's not going to hold up that much longer. So what's your alternative? Maybe you buy some virtual land. I don't know. I mean, it, it could be a bubble, but I haven't hit my toe in yet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, when we talk about the metaverse, as far as I know, there is no one metaverse. You can have multiple ones. So there's also a question of like you might buy into central land and then that fades away like MySpace and then it goes to some other one, right? So that's another issue. But it does touch on uh, crypto as well because obviously when crypto exploded on the scene, it was like, okay, well, which one's going to win the battle? And Bitcoin forked and you know ultimately Bitcoin's gone on to aggreg- aggregate the value of that space for the moment. How do you view crypto? Is that is that separate to the metaverse or is it all part of the same decentralized shift that we're seeing? Yeah, I, I lump it in together. I mean, there's not one without the other. You know, you need to have the blockchain and cryptos for the metaverse. Um, I mean, you don't need the metaverse for blockchain and cryptos, but it's going to push the cryptos to the next level of valuation. So they really work hand in hand. Um, and it's all about these you know, decentralized, and that's what uh, that's what these offer. The cryptos offer. I'm a big fan of cryptocurrencies. I know they've taken a hit uh, with tech stocks over the last uh, couple months. I think they're great buying opportunities. I still think Bitcoin hits 100 grand in the next 12 months or so. Uh, I don't know where it goes from there, but I, you know, this is where I do put my money in my mouth. Is I probably have a quarter or so of my net worth, uh, liquid net worth, in cryptos. So you know, I have I'm, I'm heavily exposed to that, and I'll probably add more to it. Honestly, I, I think. The upside potential there is so big because it's so early on. I mean, even though you know these enormous gains, uh, the size is still very small. Um, every time I say this, I get hate mail, but I think gold is a dead investment. I, I just think it's ridiculous. <laughs> Who the hell? What are you going to do with gold? What are you going to get? Take a? You're going to go to the local bodega and get get a six pack and a pack of smokes with that? That's not taking gold. What the hell? But they'll take Bitcoin. A lot of them. So I just don't see where gold fits into the society that we live in today. Um, and what's great about Bitcoin and some of the others, uh, not all of them, uh, cryptos, but there's limited supply. 
you know, so you know what your supply is. It's not like U.S. dollars where you can keep printing them. Uh, there's a limited supply and, and demand's only going to increase, which means simple economics tells me higher prices down the road. So do you view Bitcoin as digital gold then, or is it, is it, how, what, what is Bitcoin to you? Because there's different takes on what Bitcoin is, if you like. If I had to pin one, I, I, there's a couple of different views, but it would be digital gold if I had to pick one. Uh, to me, it, it's, it's, a, it's a store of value. It's not necessarily going to upend the dollar, in my opinion. Um, outside of Bitcoin, every, I call everything else basically altcoins, everything outside of Bitcoin. Uh, even even ether, um, I, I consider them the new age software because a lot of this metaverse and all these other things that are happening out there right now, anything decentralized, whether it be financial stuff, the NFTs, the art world, they're built on the back of the blockchain and the back of these altcoins. And so, essentially, they're a software of the roaring twenty twenties and beyond. So, and and one of the greatest investments over the last 35, 40 years in technology in all sectors has been software. You know, just think about software, what we do with it, Excel. We didn't have Excel, we'd still be punching little, you know, calculators. Um, so yeah, to, to, to me, there's, uh, it's digital gold, Bitcoin, but then the altcoins are software. So really the differentiation between the two of those. I've got a very wealthy friend who just doesn't get Bitcoin, doesn't understand it, why you'd want to pay that for this thing. But do you agree with the idea? There was an idea back in 2017 when the, I guess that was a bubble, that period of, of when everything just exploded. The idea was when the internet came along, the value of that accrued into Google and Facebook, as you alluded to earlier, that they were able to monetize it. With Web.30, et cetera, the value will accrue to the platform, which is the coin. So if, if we're all using Bitcoin and things are built around it, the Bitcoin will, will capture the value that's created. Do you feel that that's accurate? That that's yeah. the shift. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So it's like, you know, a lot of things are built on Ethereum, you know, the number two uh, uh, coin. And there's a lot of up and comers that are now creating better ethers, if you will, that, you know, better systems, cheaper to, to uh, make transactions with. And uh, so you're seeing a lot of those do very, very well uh, over the last couple of uh, years, last year and a half, really. Um, SOLs, one, it's up thousands, tens of thousands of percent. Um, we, there's a lot out there have done well. So you're, you're right. And that's, that's basically like the software because you could create these computers, but they can't, they're worthless without the software you run on it. So it's, that's kind of, you, know, you explain that great. I've never heard that way, but that was a great way to explain it. But yeah, you nailed it. Oh, gee. Well, actually it wasn't me. It was some blog I read years ago. Oh. <laughs> Very obscure, but it was a good idea. Uh, I remember writing about it at the time. Um, okay. So let's talk volatility. So the thing with cryptos, they're crazy volatile. Bitcoin jumps and that's where you get the bears come in and go, it can't be a store of value. It's up and down like a horse draws. Um, how do you view it then as simply as a buy and hold or, or do you try and trade it? How do you approach crypto? I don't try and trade it. I don't even try and trade stocks anymore, to be honest with you. The last few years, um, I, I just buy and hold and I'll just, I'll add on dips is what I'll do. Same thing in the stock market. You know, what I'll do is I, on Friday, I bought into, uh, the ARK innovation ETF, which I never buy ETFs, but this thing is just. The moment Jim Cramer came out and basically on Thursday night, I think it was, and poured scotch all over and said it's over, um, I think he's a knucklehead. And I was like, okay, this is the bottom. Like this guy coming out right now, he's saying this. Seven months ago, he was praising Kathy Woods and Ark and saying they're the greatest things in the world. Now, all of a sudden, you know, she's terrible for the market. And I, I thought that was a joke. But yeah, I buy and hold, um, especially with Bitcoin, because I don't know. It's 24-7. You never know. I could wake up, it could be down three grand, up three grand. Uh, but again, my thesis is it hits uh, six figures, 100,000 at some point. So I'm holding for that day. 
It's so, I was going to actually ask you about Kathy Wood, but I forgot just in this moment that, you know, March, for March 2020, Ark soared like crazy. Everybody poured in. She was the queen. I've followed her for a long time, actually. She's been saying, uh, I guess similar to what you, you know, the, the future is exciting and there's all this uh, um, tech innovation going on. And then suddenly everyone seems to have switched on her and gone, oh, no, it's, it's, a, it's a bubble and all these idiots are piling in and yada, yada, yada. Uh, so do you view, how do you view what's happened to her? Is it, is it a case of everybody sort of piling into her ETFs, which is not something she can really can control, but she's still obviously very on trend with what's happening. Is that roughly how you'd see it? Yeah, I mean, I, I I own a lot of her stocks, whether it be in my personal account or recommended in my newsletters. Um, we we think very very similar. Um, where again, innovation can't be stopped. I mean, we could sit here today and say, okay, what what's, what can we get? What, what's guaranteed? Nothing guaranteed, but what's close to a guarantee in the next, let's say, five to seven years? Well, I'll guarantee there's gonna be more electric vehicles on the road than there are today. I mean, unless something happens that suddenly all the batteries start blowing up or they find that coal's not great for the environment. I don't know. Something, <laughs> you know, something crazy happened. Like there's going to be more. We know that. So let's invest in that. And that's that's similar to what she her approach is too. Obviously, she dives much deeper down. She's got a great team, but uh, very similar. You know, she's been a bull on Tesla forever. I've been a bull on Tesla forever. And most Wall Street analysts hated it years ago because Elon Musk is a lunatic. Yeah, he is a lunatic, but he's a very darn smart lunatic, and you know he's done well. So I, I I'm a hundred percent on with her. What, what, a chart I show people a lot in, in situations like this is you look at um, big winners, Netflix, Amazon, you know, of the last 10 years or so, and you show a chart of percentage off the high. You show how many times they pulled back 50% or more over that time frame. None of these innovation stocks go straight up. You know, they're, they're hot in the beginning, then they get cold. Then they get hot again, and they get cold. And then you run into a recession, you run into a bear market, and they're the first ones that get sold. Um, you know, interest rates are going to kill growth stocks. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. The 10-year yield in the United States is at 1.8%, just ticks above where it was before the pandemic started. So we just got back to where we were. Who the hell cares? And look where stocks were then. They're 50% off from where they are. I mean, this is a sale of the lifetime for me in innovation. So she's going to take a beating, but she'll be back on top again. And she's making so much money, I don't think she really cares, honestly. But <laughs> I wouldn't either, you know. She's going to be right in the end, put it that way. She's going to be right in the end. But it, it is tough to defend yourself when these stocks are getting hit every single day. It's, it's difficult. Absolutely. I, and uh, well, not just with tech, so any stock uh, can get caught up in, you know, short-term stuff. Uh, that's interesting to me because I know with, with uh, your report, you sort of said to your readers, like, you know, I'm looking at things five years out. Like, you, do you think the readers will go with you that long? It, you know, because when you see yourself 50% down or, you know, hypothetically, mm -hmm. You're like, yeah. oh, geez, I thought this was a great idea. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it is hard to carry yeah. people because it's so hard to buy and hold. Yeah. Just as a person, like, you just, unless you have like true conviction, like the Bitcoiners that just go, I'm yeah. never selling. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. tough, isn't it? It's, it's extremely tough. I mean, I, I just sold my money manager firm, but I managed money for nearly 20 years. So I was a shrink for almost 20 years because, you know, picking a stocks was easy. It was talking to your clients when you had a pullback like this and chalking them off the ledge, like not to sell at the absolute bottom. I do miss it because I had like three clients that anytime they called and they wanted to sell, that was the absolute bottom of the market. They were the contrarian indicators of the world. So I do miss them. I, I almost want to reach out and be like, hey, how do you feel about the market? But 
Um, it's difficult. I, I think majority of my, of my people will stay with me through this, just like a lot of people who believe in Kathy Woods will stay with her. Because I've built up a track record over 20 plus years, I've had a lot of winners and I've had winners that have gone up big, down big, but ended up big at the end. Um, we've had a lot of good runs uh, uh, in the last few years specifically. So I think people see that. The, the one thing that, that I was concerned with, which was a good thing, but a bad thing, when we, we launched a couple of newsletters a couple of years ago and they were just killing it. I mean, like we're hitting doubles left and right, you know, some up a hundred, $700,000 or 700% I should say. And people got used to that. And that's not true reality. I mean, I think we could easily beat the market, but that's not reality hitting all those doubles in those years like that. So you have to come back to reality and they've got so accustomed to things just being so easy, like throwing darts. So when they have a couple of losers like this, they think it's over. And all of a sudden, they're going to start buying value stocks at the exact wrong time or start buying gold at the exact wrong time or go to cash at the wrong time. Um, it's, it stinks. You know, last week, um, uh, the, the, the small buyers, I think they call them small lot option buyers, meaning you're buying 10 contracts or less. So the average Joe in Kansas, right? They put more money in the puts last week than ever before. So that means now that all the stocks are down 50%, now is when they start buying protection. Now is when they turn bearish. And what has the stock market done since then in the last couple of days? Straight up. So, I mean, if I have so many things I wrote about recently that we are so at or near at least a short-term bottom. It's absolutely insane. You know, the average NASDAQ stock uh, heading into last week was down 43.6%. The average, 43.6%. Over 45% of all NASDAQ stocks lost half their value. So you might look at the NASDAQ and be like, well, it's only down 12% or whatever, maybe 10 or 12%. But your portfolio is probably down a lot more if you have exposure to growth or tech. So there's a bear market in there. And to me, we've flushed out already. We're at that buy, we're at that bottom. It's interesting. You mentioned gold. I know part of Stansbury's crowd would have originally been, perhaps not so much today, but that gold buying, worried about US government debt, worried about the US dollar kind of character. Probably those old boys in Florida that you see these days. Yep. <laughs> um, do you, uh, we've got a similar sort of guy with us. One thing I'm seems to be with those guys, you're never going to change their mind. They'll just keep writing about it and writing about it. Is it, in a sense, that kind of character a bit of a lost cause? Like they'll just, as you say, they'll take the negative view and go defensive or they'll just be biased to, to that. Um, so you've almost always going to have that component to to your audience yes yeah we we have obviously some people at stansbury research that that believe that way that are big gold bugs um and you know are anti-government um anti-fed so gold's their safety and you know sometimes our views overlap a little bit um but maybe because i'm a little bit younger than a lot of those guys even though i'm not young i'm younger than a lot of those guys they're setting their ways I mean, they're, they're not changing. I mean, they're, they're not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, you know what? This government's not that bad. You know, heck, maybe, maybe gold's not the best investment. There's no damn way. I don't care if gold goes to zero. They'll still be telling you the best investment ever. You know, these guys, they, they dug their heels in. Um, and they also, those guys sell a lot of newsletters because there is a crowd out there. You know, in America, we have what? We have uh, basically MSNBC, CNN, all, all that stuff. If you're far left, you watch that. Uh, I used to work at Fox News. I'm not far right, though. But when I worked at Fox News and everybody who watched Fox News were far right. So you far left, far right. You watch that. People who are far left don't watch Fox News because they get pissed off and, and they're yelling at the TV. They watch CNN because they want to be like, yep, yeah, uh-huh. I told you. 
I said the same thing. I'm right. So people buy these newsletters that are negative because inherently we're negative human beings. And they're like, I, I knew the government was bad. I knew it. We better go buy some gold and bury in the backyard. So there's a lot of people who like that and buy that. The problem is you don't make that much money a lot of time. What's gold done? Gold's done nothing. Like, you know, when gold should be doing what it should be doing its job, when inflation's at the highest level in 40 years, gold's gone sideways for a year. I mean, this is like, if this isn't your shining moment, like go on stage. It's like, no, nah, I can't do it. It's crazy. But yeah, know, you, you can't change from, these guys. Uh, experience, like I've read, like I've been writing about the markets now for, for 10 years and the amount of ink that has spilled on gold for what it's actually done in that time is, it's incredible. But um, again, there's ultimately it's a passive sort of thing. Like there's no innovation behind gold as such. It's just a thing that, exists as it were so and i will tell you just just uh, you know when i manage money i think it's 06 to 09 somewhere around there i, I can't I'm, i have the days wrong the years wrong i actually gold was our largest holding the gold etf so you know i'm open to it in certain situations and just like you know i am open to going more value in certain situations large cap versus small cap i'll take what the market gives me a portion of mine is going to always be innovation because i believe innovation will go up no matter what happens uh, but you know, there's always there's gonna be opportunities along the way. It could be metals, it could be other commodities. I don't know, but you have to continue to read and keep an open mind. Otherwise, you're gonna get left behind too. All right. So just tell us a little bit um, about your your two reports. What what can people sign up for if they want to follow uh, what you're doing? Because as you say, the Nasdaq. Uh, we're sitting out here in Australia too. Like, even though the indexes themselves aren't too bad, a lot of stocks have been bashed around. Um, so. If you take a long-term view, uh, it could be a good opportunity. So tell us about your services, and we'll put a link in uh, if people are interested. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember link right now, but I'm going to get it. You see, put it in there. But uh, <laughs> so we have we have the McCall report, which is what uh, kind of our entry level one, and that goes out each month. I'm working on it right now. The next one goes out next week, and uh, we give you at least one stock idea a month, and we go after the innovation trends that we're talking about. So whether it be the future of transportation, so we can look at uh, EV companies, battery companies, autonomous vehicle companies, uh, auto parts makers that are making the parts for electric vehicles. And so what we do is we, we, we create baskets of trends. And then within those baskets, we'll add stocks. Because again, to me, I don't know which stock in the uh, transportation sector is going to be the biggest winner. I might be wrong. But if I put a basket of five and, and somebody says, you know what, I want to put $500 into this, tre into this trend. Don't put 500 in Tesla, put 500 in these five stocks, 100 each, because your risk drops dramatically and your reward upside doesn't really fall that much. Because all you need is one or two of those of those five to hit. You can have one that hits and the other four can go to zero and you still make a ton of money. You know, obviously we don't think they go to zero, but that, that is such a great way for an individual investor to do it. Another simple way to explain it is you're basically building your own ETF. Because you look at an ETF, like a 5G ETF, might have 35, 40 stocks in it. You only like 10 of them. You don't want to have all 40 of them. And, you know, this day and age now where there's no commission to buy and sell stocks, you can build your own. And you're not paying the 1% whatever the ETF's charging you. So it's actually cheaper to do it yourself. Um, so we love doing that. And, and I usually write nice stories each month and, and try to come up with my, my travels around the world and talk about that. Um, and then we have um, uh, the Megatrend Investor, Matt McCall's Megatrend Investor. And that's where we look at companies below $2 billion. So we're looking at smaller cap companies that, that are much, um, let's call it like earlier stage, if you will, in, in the trends. Uh, that have bigger upside, you know. So if you're buying a company that's a one billion dollar company, even getting a ten, which isn't even that big of a company, still that's a ten xer. So we're looking for a little bit more home runs that way. And also, um, 
we have so many uh, subscribers on the, on, on the other one that we can't put out small stocks because it moves it too much. So we keep the small ones. It's kind of like that, you know, you go to a club and it's that red velvet. You know, everything's nice out here, but if you want the really good service to come behind this red velvet rope, you got to pay a little more to get in there, no, but we'll take you back there. Uh, so so that's, that's what we do. And then we do a daily, um, I, I write a daily uh, email uh, Monday through Fridays, and then I do the podcast, Making Money with Matt McCall, on Tuesdays and Thursdays at the break now. Oh, cool. I didn't realize you do that. Yeah. Um, oh, great. One final question, actually. One, a little theme of mine. We had your buddy on, Thomas, from Stansbury. Uh, talking about cannabis stocks and mm-hmm. they're talking about getting smashed around. <laughs> They've been getting smashed around. Do you dabble in that sector at all? I was one of the first guys to start investing in it many, many years ago. I always tell a story. I used to do a lot of like keynotes and, and sit in panels. I remember keynoting, a, 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 it, was a, it was a money show, but they had a spinoff cannabis that they were trying out. Heck, this must have been 10 years ago, if not more. Um, and <laughs> And there's like thousands of people at this conference. I'm like, all right, we're going to do this cannabis thing over here. I'm sitting up there. There's more people at the table than there were watching us. I mean, there was nobody in this thing. And then like four years later, standing room only. It was crazy. That's when I started taking it off. That's before Canopy Growth, which is the largest cannabis, was even Canopy Growth. It was called something else. It was, can't remember the name, but it was called something else. And I was sitting on the panel next to the CEO, the original CEO, Bruce Linton of there. Um, so I was early, early in cannabis. And um, I have not been in it lately because I just... You know, you see how the stocks have done, and, and it's become a commodity. Um, it's it's just it's so cheap to grow, and prices are, are have to be competitive. States are taxing the hell out of it. I think we do get a bump because I think you're going to see federal legalization in the United States, um, and I think it's going to be a real thing. It's going to be just like alcohol and you know beer. Um, but again, it's it's going to your margins are going to be razor thin. Uh, so so I think there's probably an opportunity down here because they are so cheap down here. Uh, but again, it's going to be a, a fight, fight to the finish. So it's it's tough. I think there's just better. I think that 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 story's run its course for you the think, big game. Uh, you're talking about obviously just growing it and smoking it. That's the commodity thing. But out here in Australia, we seem to have we have some cannabis stocks, and we, we can't smoke it here legally. Where they they try and do the medicinal side, so there is a value add there. Do you think at mm-hmm. least in that part there's there could be opportunity? Yeah, I mean, we were an early investor in GW Pharmaceutical, which was bought out, which was uh, the first approved uh, cannabis uh, drug here in the states. Um, for, uh, yeah, 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 for a rare form of epilepsy. Um, so that, that to me, yeah, I've seen people, I've seen kids with that disease, and it's and it makes a difference. So I mean, I, I I'm a thousand percent behind that. Uh, I believe in CBD, which is legal most places. I think that's a great health, uh, you know, supplement as well. So yeah, there is there is a medical side to it. Um, again, I just don't know how big that market's going to be. I mean, you can also look at like mushrooms, you know, the, the mushrooms, uh, that magic mushrooms, I should say, you know, that's, that's a big upside market. Um, you know, I deal with mental health issues and I've talked to my psychiatrist about, you know, there's, there's people out there now using, um, ketamine, which is a, uh, a cat tranquilizer. I mean, it's a recreational drug, but they're using for people with PTSD, um, actually in Baltimore, where the, the main office is, they still have a house there. Johns Hopkins University is, is a big, big uh, study on the mushrooms and of psychedelics on people uh, with mental health, and, and, the, and the results have been fantastic. So th- I would actually prefer that side because I think there's better upside because mental health is such a major issue in the world right now that I think you could see big, big upside there. All right, beauty. Um, well, we can leave it there. As I said, um, we'll put a link in to uh, Stansbury, et cetera, um, if you're listening and you, and you want to check out Matt's work. It's been a pleasure chatting to you, mate, and uh, I'm keen to see where it all goes. 
Oh, yeah, my pleasure. We'll get you on my podcast. As, as soon as we get this studio all set up, we've got to get you in, too. Yeah, I'll tell you all the exciting okay. stuff that's going on here in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. It's a great pleasure. All right, buddy.